All right. Hey, everybody. Todd Mitchell here. Welcome back to Game Dev Breakdown. Today, we're talking to Jason Lee from Pixelmatic, who is a game industry veteran of many years. He is working on the Infinite Fleet game that's coming up from Pixelmatic, and we got to talk about all kinds of cool things. So I know you're going to enjoy this. Sit back, relax, and uh, enjoy my chat with Jason. Good evening, fans. Tim Kittrow here, the voice of NBA Jam, and you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodeWritePlay.com. Boom shakalaka! My mom gave birth in 1985. I was blue than a Pac-Man ghost, barely alive. In the Cold War, my only blanket was Tetris. I played Rampart with Reagan, Rampage the world for breakfast. The laundry mat was my sanctuary. The arcade was my church. I thought I was Are you in Vancouver? Is that right? Yeah, Vancouver, Canada. Very nice. My wife and I actually just visited Vancouver in, I think it was last. September, September or October ended the super touristy thing where we, you know, cruised up to Alaska, but I, I loved it. Right. I thought it was yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's beautiful here. Uh, just very expensive to live, but yeah. <laughs> I kind of wondered about that. I didn't really yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I, I guess that's along the lines of how we'll sort of dive in um, for, for listeners who aren't yet familiar with you, give me a little bit of background, who you are, what you've done and what you're doing now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my name is Jason Lee. Um, I'm the chief creative officer at Pixelmatic. Um, I, I uh, well, I, I first let's talk like Pixelmatic is a game development studio um, with a main studio based in Shanghai, mm -hmm. but with distributed teams like all around the world. Um, the team is really made up of like industry veterans uh, that have like AAA studio that, that come from um, AAA studios like Relic. Ubisoft, BioWare, um, and have really worked on like major titles like Homeworld, EVE Online, Age of Empires, Anthem, Company of Heroes. Um, before joining Pixelmatic, uh, I worked in the game development industry for about 13, 14 years. I, I lost track, but <laughs> like yeah, around there. Um, and on franchises like Company of Heroes, um, Age of Empires, and a whole slew of different games that really never been released <laughs> um like uh, for people that have been worked in game development uh in the industry they they sort of like there's a there there are a lot of like titles that people work on that never really end up getting released <laughs> yeah so yeah there's that um and uh just joining before joining uh pixelmatic to work on infinite fleet um you know i was working on the age of empires 4 uh sequel um, it's a huge project being developed by uh, Relic Entertainment and published by Microsoft, taking all the things really fans love about Age of Empires and um, allowing them to experience it again as if it was developed brand new in 2020 or not, I guess um, 2021, uh, wh whenever it gets released. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, at Pixomatic, um, I'm the chief creative, but that really that's like fancy title. Like I wear a lot of hats. Um, yeah. I, there's a lot of uh, creative direction, game direction related things um, I'm involved in. You know, sometimes I'm a QA tester. Sometimes um, I'm a producer. Just really it's, it's the different, it's a big difference in working from a big company to a smaller uh, indie like company um, where you just have to do what you need to do to sort of push the feature ahead. Um, it's more about the feature than what it is that you do. So, yeah. <laughs> so, 
So yes. you've you've done quite a bit of focus on in your career in RTS games. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep, that's correct. Was that kind of by design or by fortune? Um, it was by fortune. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, the, uh, how I got into Relic originally because of my love for StarCraft and WarCraft, like strategy games. But it doesn't mean that that's the only type of games I enjoy playing. Um, it's just I was very good at strategy games. Um, and uh, I, it was very early on um, during the development of Company Heroes when um, uh, they were they were sort of recruiting and building a balanced team. Um, so that's sort of how I got my foot in the door um, in the game development at Relic um, because I was able to play strategy games um, and understand strategy games fairly well. Um, And Relic uh, being uh, a very strategy game focused company, um, you know, I ended up sort of working on strategy games most of the time. Um, There were other games that we, you know, I was involved in that I worked on that were uh, not strategy, but, you know, they never really sort of ended up seeing uh, the light. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Relic was tied to uh, Warhammer also. Is that right? Yes, that's right. I'm a fan of that. I've, I've played a few of Relic's things, but the Warhammer thing really struck me because I'm not even really a Warhammer guy. Like, I, mm-hmm. I like the idea of it. I've just never had an opportunity to dive real far in, but their games are really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and with what Relic focuses on with Warhammer um, was like their franchise Dawn War, which is like the strategy um, game, how it's translated in strategy. But they also did um, uh, an action game called Space Marine, which you really play the role of what it's like to be a space marine in that universe, mm-hmm. yeah, which was pretty cool. Very cool. So talking about the present, you're with Pixelmatic. First of all, how is Pixelmatic doing? I mean, we, obviously we have a global pandemic going on. <laughs> is are, are you guys okay? Is development off track? I mean, how are things going? No, we actually it hasn't phased us at all. Like we were already sort of dis, like our team was already distributed um, around the world. We were already working remotely even before um, the whole pandemic. So we, for us, it wasn't much of a transition at all. Um, yeah, it, it was just like work as usual. <laughs> yeah. And I've, so, so yeah, things are just, yeah, just flowing. So if anything, actually, it's been easier for us to somewhat recruit because um, uh, like more people are sort of looking for remote work. Um, they sort of understood uh, and are set up at home uh, to better sort of work remote now. So it's been easier to sort of um, find people around the world um, in that sense. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm a contractor myself and I do tons of work from home. And while I hate what's going on, I do like kind of the mind shift that you guys were doing this before, but a lot of studios are thinking about ways they can implement this for the first time. And like I said, I'm from the St. Louis area. There's not a, not a booming game industry market here, but I I think some people in this area are starting to get more opportunity for the first time. You know, it's, it's been hard for them previously and now it's sort of opening up a little bit. So maybe that's something positive we can take forward with us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, like, for us, uh, one of the big things that I, I sort of um, learned after joining Pixelmatic uh, with the whole remote work situation is that, you know, just being able to recruit, like, you know, like a, a whole, mm, 
like the, the talent uh, that you want from all around the world, from wherever you want. Uh, it just gave us a lot of flexibility mm-hmm. than having needing to be tied to a specific region, right? So home office for you guys is the is in Shanghai. Yes. Is it sort of advantageous for you guys to be part of a company based in China that publishes outward rather than companies that have to try to work the other way around and uh, publish from outside into the, the Chinese gamer market? Or is it just a different set of problems? Um, yeah, like that I'm not too sure about. Um, yeah. I, I think so. I don't think that was ever we, we considered that too heavily when it was set up that way at first. Um, the company was set up and founded in 2011, um, and uh, the CEO at that time was uh, sort of in Shanghai mm-hmm. and in China. So sort of he set up the company there. Um, I'm not sure, uh, and I wasn't part of Pixomatic at that time, so I wasn't sure, sure if uh, you know sort of he thought of all that yeah, <laughs> in yeah, mind yeah. when he sort of set that up. Um, yeah, but yeah, that is definitely something interesting to think about. <laughs> right, yeah. My reason yeah. for asking was I, I was sort of looking over the website and I, I noticed it mentioned that, you know, the company kind of acts as a publisher for companies looking to publish in China. And I thought, oh, well, you know, since you're there, right, you know, <laughs> it makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. So Right, right, right. Actually, um, you know, the, it's the publishing part of uh, Pix. It, it's something that we're actually taking more seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, with the, the way we sort of fundraise um, for not just Infinite Fleet, but um, uh, for other games that we may take on in the future. And um, the publishing part of our company is called Exodium. And, oh. and um, you know, our fundraising is actually through um, equity shares of the Exodium publishing um, equity. So any anything in, term, like that, in terms of... Um, uh, profits that generated for Exordium is what the investors uh, sort of um, have access to um, when they buy a shares of Exo tokens. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting part of the way Infinite Fleet is set up. So we we may as well jump into that. Um, mm-hmm. Infinite Fleet is your, I guess it's safe to say your main big event coming up for the company. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this is basically kind of a hybrid RTS. I mean, you. I'll let you do the description because it's kind of uh, unique. Yeah. So um, it, it's a big blockbuster game we're working on. Um, it's a new MMO sci-fi strategy game where uh, the fantasy is like the player really plays as a commander um, in the United Soul Federation, um, and. They've been given command over a fleet of these big, gigantic battle fortresses um, and that they can customize and create that perfect synergistic fleet, sort of all the while like defending humanity alongside many other commanders um, in in this sort of MMO world. Um, And um, our in-game currency, our in-game economy, just like our narrative, um, which is player-driven. Um, we want our economy to also be very player-driven uh, through the use of our in-game currency called INF currency. And and this is technically going to be a form of cryptocurrency that the game uses. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so, but then technically, it's a cryptocurrency only when players um, decide to take this currency out of the game. Um, so what's unique about our game is that this currency is no different than any in-game currency like what gold is 
to WoW, uh, World of Warcraft, sure. um, uh, until the moment that players decide to take this currency out, then it becomes a cryptocurrency. I see. I hear collaboration. I hear massively online. Is there sort of a destiny flavor to this in, in addition to sort of the strategic elements, that kind of thing? Yeah. Like the strategy part of the game is in how players um, use their fleets and engage in combat. So how I like to talk about it is um, it's like the game is less about it's most, mostly about strategy and decisions and less about like actions per minute. Yeah. Um, almost like playing chess in a way. Um, not, not, not like, you know, turbo chess or fast chess, <laughs> but, you know, having, making, trying to make the right decisions, um, you know, within, within a certain given period of time. Um, so that, that's the strategy. And then MMO aspect of things is you get to play with um, many of your friends, all all around the world, like all sorts of different uh, people. And um, you, you sort of accomplish these big feats and uh, um, uh, overcome big um, events and obst- obstacles uh, by collaborating and working together. You guys have a bunch of great content on YouTube about the upcoming game. Something interesting I heard you say previously was that some of the gameplay is going to be sort of, it's going to have multiple viewpoints so you can have more of a strategic view like you might see in other other strategy games. And then also at low level, you can just see this sort of unit level, that kind of thing. So what can you tell me about that? Yeah, um, we just felt we weren't doing the game justice if we were going to show the game, like, like you know, every other strategy game that tends to show off the game from a top-down God view camera. Um, if we were to just flatten the entire space in that way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the fantasy about being in space is that, you know, it's this 3D um, plane where, you know, there's just these massive um, things that sort of float like planets and stars and, you know, gas clouds and all sorts of stuff. Um, and we didn't want to lose that. Um, otherwise, what's the, why are you in space? Why not just, you know, why not just on a planet, right? So, um, that's why, that's one of the reasons why we have, uh, you know, the action camera, but, um, how we tr- sort of translate that in combat is, uh, I mean, it's very simple to sort of imagine. I, uh, anybody that's played sports games have sort of already experienced this, but imagine, uh, playing football games, right. Uh, when you play like Madden, right. Uh, you start with that whole sort of strategic view of your teams and you're setting plays. And once that pass once you make that pass um you know with to, to the running back or who, whoever catches the ball is running with it and, you know then you have that sort of third person view right um where you're you're just running through and plowing people through to get to that goal line right and and, and that's really it like it's sort of once the the strategic view is really good for making um plays and decisions that sort of um, unfold over a period of time where of the moment-to-moment actions and um, uh, abilities that are executed per each individual ships are best done when, and it feels a lot better and more visceral when it's done um, from a third-person action camera. And we're still in development on the game, or I mean, where are we on the roadmap here? Yes, yes, um, we're very close, to like a closed alpha, um, uh, a very early alpha, um, and um, it's uh, a very 
yeah, it, it's at a very early phase in development. Um, and we're still a bit far out before we reach beta. Uh, probably would be closer to next year. Um, that's when we'll have a lot, most of the core features in and, uh, you know, games a lot more polished mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah. So I, I totally understand the indie element of this that where like everyone's doing whatever is needed on an ideal day where there's not a lot going on for you. Like what is the core role that you do on the team? I'm involved very heavily on uh, sort of the motivation systems and the um, like, because I, I, I don't like to sort of just sit around, like I manage when I need to, uh, but mostly like I like to get my hands dirty. So, you know, I, I'm involved in a lot of, um, we're working with our economy designer to sort of um, figure out how, where to trigger certain motivations and um, interesting engagement uh, metrics uh, here and there, um, sort of to cr- just create an interesting flow in the game. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the economy is like one of the biggest drivers for it, right? So like, I'm just always paying attention to that and making sure um, all the features and systems in the game are sort of arranged in a way where it flows uh, with um, everything there uh, and not have one system feel like, you know, it's playing independently to everything else. <laughs> right, yeah. right. To my ear, it sounds a little bit reminiscent of some of the cool features that Elite Dangerous has in terms of community goals and stuff. Am I close? Yeah, I mean, there's a, actually a lot. I mean, it's like there's, um, uh, yeah, Elite Dangerous is definitely something we do definitely talk about a lot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think another one is Star Citizen, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, EVE Online, you know, like, yeah, everything in that sort of realm. <laughs> You guys are also doing uh, a token offering to raise funding for development. So, I mean, tell me a little bit about how that worked. I know some of it's done. Right. Yeah. Um, so we just finished our first round of fundraising. It was more private, um, and, but it, it went out. We're like, it, it, we closed it really quickly, I think, like overnight. Um, uh, and we oversold. I, like our goal was like $3 million. I think we hit like 3.1 or 2 something like that. And that was on um, Bank to the Future. Um, and uh, we have uh, another one coming up uh, on stalker.io. And um, that one that that um, will be available to the public. The unique thing about our fundraising model is that um, unlike uh, Kickstarters, where you sort of um, donate money right to yeah. the developers um you in our case you actually own equity uh you you become the investors right um so yeah like you, when we do well we profit so so do our investors right because there's a kickback 20 percent of profits generated nice so yeah i mean it's 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 so much more valuable and, and there's just so much more uh value in, in sort of you know when when you're sort of getting involved at this stage compared to like something you know as if you were to get into involved in a kickstarter where you you just own some digital items that i don't know like it might be valuable to you in the game or it might not but eventually like if the game's done it's done right <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah I, that that's why it's unique there's so much it's just so much more value to the uh players that get involved and um yeah if 
people do want to get involved in this, um, yeah, I, I recommend they uh, look. Well, first of all, they should go check out our website at www.infinitefleet.com. Um, because there's a lot of cool information there, the lore um, of the game. There's a lot of, yeah, like art. You can find all that stuff there. But also uh, create an account at uh, stalker.io because uh, you'll get the latest updates uh, and when it's going to be available. I saw it suggested somewhere that this is the first game of its type in terms of the way it was uh, funded this way. Is that right? Right. That's, that's, that's right. Yeah. The first, um, the first game, uh, the first game that's ever being funded to use, using an STO model. That may have been why when I first heard this, I thought that can't be what it sounds like. And, uh, I think I was close. I'm not exactly a, a crypto genius or anything, but I've, I've learned a little bit here and there, but it does sound very interesting. I was kind of skeptical at first, but the more I've read about it, the more it kind of makes sense to me. Especially, I mean, like, obviously it'll be of a, a ton of interest to a lot of people to see how this goes. Right. But the pressure must also be a little bit through the roof, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, there, there's definitely a lot of interest, especially in the people in the cryptocurrency space, people, uh, just investors in general um, in that way. But, yeah, I mean, I think what this does, though, is sort of um, allows I mean, your everyday people to sort of get involved, uh, really, um, in in games and being able to invest in game companies, uh, or in our case, like our publishing, which is actually more involved, more valuable than just uh, investing in a game alone, because uh, the value of what they're investing in is more than just Infinite Fleet alone. It's um, you know any other future titles and projects that Exordium Publishing itself takes on. So. Yeah, it, it is kind of neat in the sense that uh, if I'm understanding it right, it basically opens up an opportunity to not only, you know, have equity in the project, but also to be able to sort of trade it, liquidate, you know, in, in much more of a hurry than you would really be able to any other way. And I mean, it's not like the average person can just get into investing in games traditionally uh, overnight, you know, it's, right, right, exactly. obviously yeah, people exactly. should know what they're doing, of course, but I mean, yeah. otherwise it cuts out a lot of not even cutting out red tape. I mean, you just wouldn't really be able to do it in, in traditional circumstances, but, uh, there must also be a lot of regulatory hoops to jump through for this as well though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, we have to get, go through all those sort of regulatory things with the, um, like this is something actually, um, that, our chief operating officer, um, like Chris, deals with all the time, um, trying to make sure, um, you know, all the like he deals with all the lawyers and um, all the regulatory um, bodies and stuff um, to make sure, you know, this is, um, yeah, that's it's it's all legal, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I mean, everybody's got. It, it seems to me that everyone has a different set of rules and regulations. And I, I think here in the U.S., sometimes it's even right down to the state has different rules about, I, I don't know if it's just transactions or who can do what or what can be offered, but it seems like there's a lot to it. Right, right, right. Yeah. Let's talk about the show's newest sponsor, and that is App Figures. App Figures is all about giving game makers the tools they need to get more downloads and revenue. You may already know them for analytics and app store optimization. Now, App Figures can help you track competitors from how many downloads they're getting, how much money they're making, to their audience demographics, and even which SDKs they use. 
Their competitor intelligence gives you great context. Say a competitor adds a new feature or they were mentioned in the news. With App Figures, you can see if that brought in more downloads. Got a good idea for an app or a game? With App Figures, you can figure out how big the market is and how much money you could be making with it. And that's just scratching the surface. Whether you're growing your app or building a new one, App Figures has the tools you need to reduce risk and get more downloads. You don't need a large budget or a data science degree. App Figures has made it affordable and simple. On top of tools, App Figures also provides a lot of guides and tutorials to take you step by step through gaining more visibility with ASO and increasing your revenue by learning from your competitors. Head to appfigures.com slash on slash gamedevbreakdown to try App Figures for free. If you like it, use our special code GDB3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. Again, that's GDB3030 to get 30% off for three months. This is a great way to support the show and to get the power of app figures. We appreciate them as sponsors. Obviously, a lot of big heavy hitters in cryptocurrency have, it seems to me they've probably been waiting to uh, watch something like this for a long time because on the indie side and as a developer and everything, you know, we, we listen to people around the industry and we do hear a lot of blockchain's the future, cryptocurrency is the future, blah, blah, blah. And we're all behind and we're not moving on it. But from my seat as a small indie, I go like, how would I even get started? Like, what would I even do? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it depends. Um, uh, the whole topic of it's, it's, so I think what we're trying to do with how we raise money is definitely unique and different. And I, I really think this is how a lot of the game companies will sort of operate and um, approach the way they sort of fund uh, projects and stuff in the future. But as it comes to like, when, when we're talking about like blockchain and if, if we're talking about like blockchain and gaming, I think in some ways that is limited. I think like, um, I feel like, uh, you know, the whole blockchain concept is sort of being oversold in terms of, you know, how, how it's going to change the whole gaming uh, sort of platform because at the end of the day, like this is me coming from sort of a gamer, like traditional gamer, and you know, it's like at the end of the day, like gaming is all is not. It's all about the sort of experience that you know you're trying to provide to the right. player, right? The the amazing experience that you know the ability to get have them get lost in in your universe and or your game that you're trying to create, and um, it's at the end of the day, you have to ask like, what can blockchain do for that, right? Um, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, it's blockchain is actually not a very complicated technology. It's just really um, a ledger that's very good at keeping track of things. And um, yeah, like that's why it's, it's used so well in the, in the finance aspect of things. Um, right. But in the, um, in terms of how it's going to change the gameplay experience, um, you know, it, it's, Sort of somewhat limited, um, and I think um, in the blockchain gaming space, you know, people tend to sort of over market the idea of like ownership of things. Um, right. Really selling. Uh, you tend to see like a majority of the most popular blockchain games out there are, are games that were like crypto collectible games, right? Uh, where they, they're selling the idea that you get to like fully own something, but how much does that really matter? Like if you own, uh, let's say, a, a certain pillar or a certain item in a game, 
um, do you really own that item if you don't own the game? Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like if the game goes down, that that item means nothing. Right. So it's sort of like they they sort of over market these things in, in in terms of how valuable it might be, and I think um, a lot of players are sort of buying into the marketing scheme. But yeah, from where I see it, it, it just um, the the real value I think is uh, really. Or, or at least I haven't seen it yet in how blockchain can really change sort of, um, I guess, gaming and gaming experiences, how it can deliver new sort of gaming experiences. I think I agree with that. I, th- I think it's going to be an interesting element in certain situations, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to turn gaming upside down. But that's part of something I feel like you guys have right from what I've seen because it, big AAA hitters from all over the place. And it seems to me that you understand this has to go experience first. And if this game isn't good, you've got a whole lot of nothing on your hands, you know? Yeah. So the way we're executing things is our game is all about um, empowering the player, right? Um, right from all the way down from the story to the how the economy works. Uh, we want the players to really drive um, how they want to play our game, right? Um, and we, it does make us a bit nervous. <laughs> yeah. Because it means that we don't have control. And this is sort of what, like, something that a smaller studio like us um, or a startup company like us can really experiment with. Um, you know, a bigger company likes to have control and understand the outcomes of where their game is headed. Whereas for us, you know, we can take uh, more of these kind of risks. Um, but, yeah, like, and, and that's why we have this sort of, uh, we we want to use this cryptocurrency because, we want to um, give the player flexibility um, in like when they take this token out of the game, you know, what can they do, right? That, like there's, there's a lot of things um, that can sort of come out of that. Like um, it not only provides, it could provide security, but it provides portability. Um, they can use it to sort of trade that currency and maybe gift it to a friend mm-hmm. um, that they want. Um, and, um, or, who knows? There might be like a third party service that gets developed around MMO. Like it happens all the time with MMOs, right? I was going to say, um, I'm sure that's on the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we, what we're doing is just creating um, sort of an environment for that kind of stuff to flourish, right? Um, we're not going to try to control it or um, sort of dictate how it will be. That's up to the players and how they want to enjoy and play our game. Uh, we just want to sort of create sort of the fuel thing that can sort of uh, ignite uh, for that to happen. Do you feel like there's a possibility of in the future extending this currency to like maybe more of your games? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's the ultimate dream for, you know, future games that we publish through Exordium to where we find a way where this currency can also work in those games as well. Yeah. Nice. I guess I, guess I hadn't even really uh, thought of this are we talking like PC exclusive? Would this hit consoles? What's going to happen? Yeah, right now it is PC exclusive, but um, the controls, I mean, it's really um, the matter of controls and how players interact with the game, whether it can be accessible through the console or even mobile, right? Um, there is a mobile component to our game. Um, you know, they can play a portion of the game through mobile. Nice. Um, but 
ultimately we would like it de definitely on the console and also like fully on the mobile so we are when we're thinking about control schemes um we're all, we're trying we are taking all that into consideration uh in that in the future if we decide to sort of add these different platforms can we right yeah yeah it seems like a lot of opportunity to do really cool stuff there um so i, I guess there is still a lot of pressure to get the economy aspect of this game right and very balanced and very correct like right out of the gate right i mean is there room for new players to come in and like earn this currency from scratch i mean without putting you know money in explicitly on buying any upfront or whatever yeah uh the cool thing about the inf currency is that it's you can't you don't buy it um it's you just earn it by playing the game you earn it absolutely free so um, anytime, if, if the player participates, uh, in, in one of our big story, um, uh, changing events, you know, and it, it, depending on what they did, it's just all effort, like things that they did and how, what they did to participate, they won't, they basically get a reward. Um, and that's the INF currency, a, a portion of what they contributed to, to that outcome, right? Sure. So, yeah. It's just like the more they sort of play and then the more they participate in these social events um, and social things that happen in the game, the more currency that they earn. Nice. So, I mean, this is all new and some of this is a little bit Wild Westy uh, on the way in, but is it possible or are you talking about the possibility that there may have to be some kind of regulations that extend to the in-game currency? I mean, obviously, the, the actual investment currency is going to go through its own processes, but do you think maybe that'll extend to the in-game stuff as well? Um, regulations for the in-game currency? Um, I don't think... Uh, no, because it's, uh, it's, it's, it's only uses in the game, at least for now. Um, like how it might be used in the future is something that we don't, we can't really predict, but the design of it is uh, for it to be used as a medium of trade mm -hmm. uh, for um, just like gold or any other uh, in-game currency for items that are in the game. So, yeah. It's a stretch. I mean, right. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. that's part of the fun of this kind of project is sort of thinking about, you know, what the future might hold. I'm sure you guys do that all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's more like maybe in the future. But yeah, I mean, those bridges, I think when we get closer to things where like, oh, is this OK? Um, then, you know, we'll, we'll we'll deal with that at that time. I think right now everybody is just they have their hands full <laughs> yeah. in trying to yeah just make uh, Infinite Fleet, the most amazing game possible. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, leave, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. So the cool thing here is that you've got an awesome roadmap laid out. You've got a game that everyone's excited about. And it sounds like you probably don't have many concerns about funding development at this point because you've already brought in everything you're looking for, at least for the time being. You, got, you guys have a great competent team on your hands but uh, you know you don't hear too much about teams like this having all the funding they need it's always like we don't know how we're going to do it but i think this was from the canadian game devs interview where you sort of believe in a structure a sort of tiered approach to game development based on the funding you're able to raise and i thought that was something interesting that indies could take away from this is a lot of indies think you either have to work completely for free or go through you know one round of crowdfunding but like 
the concept of sort of breaking up your game into levels according to what you can develop with what amount of funding seemed really smart to me. So, I mean, what can you tell me about that mindset? Yeah, um, so that's that's one of the big adjustments, I think, um, you know, and learnings that I took away, like right from the get-go when I left, um, you know, a bigger studio like Relic, where they get like, okay, here's, um, you know, $15 million to make <laughs> a game. And right. you plan the perfect game around understanding what, you know, what can you do? Or, you know, what are all these fancy shiny toys I can have, uh, you know, with all this money to, um, you know, when you have like certain, uh, when, when you when you can only have access to certain amounts of money at, at you know, different periods of time, right? Uh, which is like the situation that we have now at uh, Pixelmatic. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, at any time you have to sort of build a game as if, you know, that is the target. Like, you know, as if it, it like we know that, you know, we'll, we, we will probably be able to get more than that. Um, but at the, still, you know, being responsible, you have to see the game as what is our game if it was a, you know, like a $2 million game? What is our game if it was a $5 million game? You know, like what, what are the features in which, like what are the must-haves? What are the core things that make Infinite Fleet, Infinite Fleet? And then what are the next tier things that make it a little bit better? And, uh, you know, the, the thing that make uh, uh, gives it a bit more depth. Um, and you, st- you start to sort of pile that on, almost like layering a cake, right? Um, and that's sort of how we develop games. So um, when we release, and our alpha is sort of, on that mentality too, like it's um, at a point where, you know, a part of our core features and then, but not everything. Um, and, uh, you know, we're building it in phases as we get alpha players in there and trying it, you know, they'll be giving us feedback. So we're really building this game also on, on that note, like building it with, uh, you know, players as they sort of interact with things. Um uh, and, and give us feedback uh, from a very early phase in the alpha where we haven't even got all the core elements of the game in there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, the big thing uh, when it comes to like layering, uh, building games and layers mm-hmm. uh, is that, you know, you really just focus. I think it's like at the end of the day, you just focus on what makes your game your game. What is that core set of interactions that make that? And then, and then what are the next things that sort of add a bit spice, uh, you know, take it to the next level and, and really being hard uh, in, in terms of, because it, it, as a creative um, person that's creating the game, you always want to add that extra le- level of things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you just really be hard on yourself to make that really core decision on, you know, what are the minimum things that if you had to say that, that, that you need uh, f- for your game to be your game. Right. So this sounds to me like you are leaving a decent amount of room for players to shape the game as they start to interact with it. And as you move into alpha and beta and everything, is that something that you, you picture happening in a, in a big way or where's going to be the line that you go either, you know, well, this is our experience or like, yeah, we got room to do that. Well, the thing is, um, so the one advantage of working, at, you know, I mean, not one, but, you know, one of the great uh I guess the takeaways that I had working uh, with so closely with Microsoft is uh, sort of the their ability to sort of um, draw 
and um, understand feedback, like UX related things. Um, they they have a very intricate, like a very advanced team with like you know like all sorts of like professors and stuff. Um, and the way they sort of gather player feedback and um, and um, underst- how, understand how to take action from that. Um, like majority of the time when players give feedback, it doesn't like, it's not always like, you shouldn't take every word for word directly. Like you have to understand why, why are they saying what they're saying? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, take the essence of that and then reflect it in your original game, uh, direction of the game. And is there, is there something within, uh, were you forgetting about that, that experience that the players are not feeling, or is there something missing there um, that, that is part of your system that they're not getting? Um, is there something that's being lost in translation with one of the systems, right? So is, yeah, you have to sort of evaluate that in that way. Um, it's not as simple as like, you know, players really hate the system, you know, you just trash it and then go a different direction. It's, it's more like, um, why do they hate it? Um, right. Like it's just yeah, asking those deep questions. Maybe there are just a few tweaks that you can make and all of a sudden like, oh yeah, this, this actually works well. Or there's a feature because it's alpha, maybe there's a feature that was planned <laughs> that yeah. hasn't been in there yet. That They're not getting the complete experience, right? Yeah. So yeah, but we, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if it comes to the point where, you know, something is just not working. Yeah. Obviously we like, you know, uh, you know, we're, we have to like, you know, make, make big changes <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and make sure. Um, I mean, if there's things like that, uh, that we realize like, yeah, we really screwed up. We need to um, uh, go in a different direction with this one area. Um, you know, that's something that we're ready to do. Nice. And this got me thinking about a side of design that, I haven't had to play with as much as some people with more experience have. And that is basically the design of in-game economies. And that's something you've at least worked around a lot now. Um, Mm -hmm. What, what goes into good economy design? I mean, what are the things that you have to pay attention to? Um, I mean, I think, well, with economy, it's really just um, that it flows. Like, like it's not, I think that's the most important thing with the economy and the economy itself becomes stronger that where, when um, the, the sort of, I guess in, in world of Warcraft case, it's gold in our case, it's INF tokens that, um, you know, the system is there where, you know, it's uh, sort of in, in the hands of, um, you know, most of your player base, like as many of your pl- different players in your player base as possible. And, um, you know, it's not there to sort of reward and then balloon to a specific group of people more than others. Um, <laughs> obviously, you know, you know, there are farmers and, you know, farmers work for it and, and they build it. But at the end of the day, you know, if they're willing to put in the work for it, um, the work has to be there <laughs> uh, for them to earn it. Um, I, you know, something like that. I think that's fair. Um, but if it's something, if there are economy uh, elements of the economy where, um, you know, at the highest level where, you know, all you need to do is um, where, you know, majority of that sort of wealth is sort of um, locked into the highest group uh, because they can do the highest content, the most difficult things. So they're earning more. Um, I think that 
ends up generating issues, right? Um, mm-hmm. Unless the things that um, they they dump uh, their their sort of uh, um, currency on um, is sort of equivalent to that value that they earn, right? Um, you see that in a lot of games, right? With like, um, even in WoW, like you see that with like um, game where when thing like more expensive armor costs a lot more to repair. Uh, you know, when they're a higher level character, when they die, they lose more. Um, I guess uh, um, uh, it's a higher repair cost for a lot of things. Um, so it, it's yeah, it's like. Creating sort of that balance of um, you know where they're earning to dump, and it just has to feel equal, uh, just across the stream, whether they're um, it's it's in the end game or it's in the um, early stages of the game, because we need to have sort of that that sort of flow of the currency that exists um, throughout the economy uh, for for all players, and that just creates a for a healthier economy. In your opinion, who's doing this really well in the industry right now? I mean, is it the guys who've been doing it the longest or are there standouts? Well, I mean, the thing is, like, game economies, um, um, like, uh, from the MMOs that I've tried, um, like, they, they, I would say, like, there's no specific system that they put in there where it's a sort of automatically handles, uh, a, a, you know, an economy like this. Uh, what they usually tend to do is um, when, when a, a certain currency is getting sort of uh, too inflated, um, they introduce a brand new currency, right? Mm-hmm. Um uh, like you, you see that in WoW and tokens and creating new currency. Every time there's an expansion, there's a new token for something. Um, there's a new currency for um, a, a new content, um, like that that give uh, for like daily quests and stuff like that. Um, and that's to sort of combat inflation, that you know, because it's just so easy for you to sort of accrue, especially when you're at a higher level, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. I I don't think there's one game specifically uh, because it's very hard um, to create and, and even predict how players um, are going to sort of interact with your game in the end game, in the long term of things. If it's your, if your game is a short term game, then it's easier to predict, but trying to predict with all the new content and uh, new experiences you're going to add to your game, like two years, three years, four years down the line. And then all of a sudden how that's going to affect the economy um, that that's really really hard to predict, um, and it limits the choices in which uh, in sort of the content that you can add to your game as well. If you're so worried about that, mm-hmm. um, so I, I think that's why a lot of the game companies tend to sort of take the easier way out and just introduce new currency <laughs> <laughs> because that's a quick hack. <laughs> yeah, wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's something I was going to ask because it is obviously difficult, and nobody has a crystal ball. Mm-hmm. But when you're at that scale. And you, and especially when you have a long history already and just a giant player base, I mean, when something takes a turn you didn't expect, and it's not that I call that a mistake, it's just something that they didn't predict. What can you even do without being too obvious or too unfair? I mean, that seems like a different, difficult thing to manage. Yeah, I think the thing is, though, like for us, at least uh, we have control over certain levers um, in how we, uh, how uh, the, INF currency is distributed. Um, so 
like uh, like it's only distributed. Uh, it's not an automatic. Hey, um, you know, kill X amount of these things, and then you get INF currency. Um, there there are very specific big events that happen, and you have to participate in that. And for and when you do that, then that's when you earn the currency, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, the currency itself is uh, it's not unlimited, like gold. I mean, World of Warcraft gold, uh, there's a limit in total that will ever exist in the infinite fleet universe. So I don't know exactly when, um, maybe in 10 years or maybe in 20 years, we'll get to a point where um, that currency maybe no longer being, it's no longer distributed uh, anymore. Um, Not sure uh, at this point exactly um, how that's going to work. Uh, but it's interesting um, to sort of what, what we want to ac- try to accomplish to do is like find a way where we create an economy where that uh, sort of currency just flows through uh, in the game where players are trading that currency for di- uh, for services and digital items in the game to each other uh, where they're constantly earning from each other. And it's just this economy mm-hmm. that sort of um, grows in itself. Um but that, that's sort of a long-term result. And so in, in that way, like that's how we plan to sort of fight inflation in our game because there, there won't be this, if anything, the value of what infinite INF currency is in our game will constantly go up um, in the long run just because of the limited value of things. It were in the same way that, like Bitcoin works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, in in wrapping up, I saw you say something very interesting in one of your interviews that designers could benefit from learning more psychology. Tell me about why you said that. Yeah, I mean, I'm a that's I believe um, games are all about experiences, and I think you need to understand social dynamics and um, uh, some psychology. Um, if you want to understand how to craft uh, experiences for players, right? Um, like in a sense, like, I mean, it's actually already being used in some way good, in some way bad, right? Um, in a monetization way, some, you know, publisher, like what loot boxes do and stuff, um, you know, it, it's it's not the most good thing, right? right. <laughs> the way that that sort of psychology is used. But the you know I kind of want to let's talk about the psychology on loot boxes actually because that's very interesting right because the thing is uh, when it's used in that way for monetization um, it's considered not so good because it has this uh, you know element of randomness um, for after you sort of uh, you know you hook the players in and have them sort of immersed and you know enjoying your games and they they sort of. It, it's there psychologically to so that they open their it's easier for them to open their wallet right and usually these loot boxes are placed and introduced to the players at just that time when you know they they do the math and science and all that and we're like okay this is the perfect time where players are actually engaged in the game the most right so mm-hmm. let's introduce the loot box to them and it's, they're most likely going to open their wallet right yeah um, so that's the psychology when it's used in a monetization way but that psychology and that system has been used in games um, for a long time, even before uh, how it's been used in loot boxes and monetization, right? Um, 
even like when you in um, I keep using World of Warcraft as an example because I just figured that's a game that we both know. Sure, <laughs> it's yeah. very popular to everybody. Yeah. But um, you know, in World of Warcraft, when you enter a zone and then there are like these random bosses that sort of pop up at, at random intervals, that that's no different than a loot box because you know you kill them, you might get an item, right? But you don't know exactly what time they're going to pop up. It's that sort of variable element that draws engagement, right? And so, so, you know, it's, in, it's sort of the reason why psychology is very important to game design and games um, as a designer is that you have to understand, you know, what, how, and like how and what are the levers uh, that, you know, you, have, you can control and the to draw engagement at the right time. So the players that are experiencing and playing your game and experiencing your game design um, can be engaged at that specific moment or, you know, can be nervous. You can control them in a way where they're sort of nervous and, um, you know, scared depending on how you lay out your levels and, um, you know, the the sort of um, sound effects that you can add at different intervals. Those are also part of psychology as well, like level, how you create your levels. Mm-hmm. So the more you understand psychology, the more control you have um, in sort of how, the, the kind of experiences that uh, you can sort of ha- have the players experience in your game. So it's a powerful thing to know as a game designer because if you, like, it really controls the outcome. Yeah, it, it, it makes perfect sense. And like you said, since loot boxes came up, this is something that's already being discussed quite a bit from people outside the industry. There are uh, probably pretty fair concerns about, you know, are they intentionally using psychological elements to, to manipulate people on their spending and things like that. So we may as well get to a point where we're using it to make a more positive game experience itself. Right. You know, just even on just the design side, why not understand those elements and use it to do something good, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, like, it's been used that way for a long time. It's just most recently actually just being taken and being used um, as a, a, a in, in the loot box scheme of things. I mean, there, it's also already been used in a loot box scheme, even before loot boxes were a thing um, in the game scheme of things, like where, you know, you would get rewarded a loot box. It's not something you pay for, <laughs> but you would get, yeah, it's as an engagement mechanic, you get rewarded a loot box and, you know, loot box will reward you an item, right? Um, and, and something like that is generally not received in a negative way by players. It's only really when they have to pay for a loot box, right? Because it's like, um, the whole monetary, um, you know, commitment of transaction, like, you know, you, you want some level of guarantee that if you pay for something um, that, you know, that you're going to get something back in return. Um, but in this, with the loot box, it's more like you have a chance <laughs> <laughs> to get something back in return or you, you have a one in four. Um, so, uh, if you want to do the math, then, you know, you have to really think that, you know, at the most you're going to spend, you know, in the worst, worst luck scenario, you'll spend this much in the best case. If you're lucky, <laughs> you might get it for cheaper. Yeah. So I, I just, I just don't think, I think that's, uh, you know, a big reason why uh, monetization with loot boxes is received negatively. It just provides sort of that, it, it feels predatory, 
right? Uh, in that way, um, you're you're um, exploiting players when you know they're um, and, and you, like you said, like exploiting psychology in a way where it's even like arranged at that perfect moment when they're engaged the most uh, in your game, and it's just arranged where the loot box is just magically available at that time, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where they're most likely to pay for there. Yeah. Well, good clarification. So uh, before we go, let people know where they can find uh, you, the project, and uh, when when they'll see something next. Yeah. So, yeah, like to learn more about the project, um, best place to go, like www.infinitefleet.com. Um, yeah, a whole slew of um, information there from, you know, amazing concept art, um, uh, trailers, um, and uh, lore uh, write-ups. Um, also linked to our Discord channel is also available in there. Um, and uh, I, let's see, um, next, I, I think right now, like our next goal uh, is really alpha, where we're heading towards alpha. <laughs> no looking back because it's the uh, our our target uh, for what we're going to do our first initial close alpha supposed well, our target was at the end of this year um, mm-hmm. so uh, it just leaves us with uh, actually probably like um, about three weeks with uh, left along with some testing time um, so yeah not a lot of time left so that that's the big thing. Um, and uh, if anyone wants to uh, participate, um, they should. Uh, alphas will be very exciting. There will be a few events that take place. Um, you know, you get to really help shape infinitely and um, how it gets uh, sort of designed and built uh, through your feedback as you participate. Um, you can do that uh, by either, um, yeah, like through the website, um, buying a ship uh, on the store. Um, or best place, uh, you know, um, why not just hold some equity, you know, go, go to uh, stalker.io um, and then, yeah, invest, um, buy some exordium. <laughs> <laughs> that way, I mean, it's better than just get buying a ship. You actually get equity uh, in, in the company and you um, get to celebrate our wins along with us, right? Well, it's fascinating and we'll be very interested to see how things shake out. And uh, I'd love to talk to you again after the game's out there and we can play it and see. So uh, thank you for this. This has been great. Great. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. One more big thanks to Jason Lee. Check out InfiniteFleet.com. Check out their YouTube channel is something I recommend. They have a lot of cool videos about development, how the technology works, and you can learn all sorts of cool stuff that way. So if you enjoy Game Dev Breakdown, I would love for you to subscribe anywhere. Check out show notes at CodeWritePlay.com. You'll see Jason's links there as well. We also have a Discord server. We are also active on social media. CodeWritePlay on Twitter, GameDevPod on Twitter, and I am at MechaToddzilla, 1D, two L's and look up game dev breakdown radio on Spotify. That's our weekend show where we will be doing sort of a weekly wrap up, listen to some very good licensed music from Spotify's infinite library and just talking about things as they come up. So that's it for me. Catch you guys this weekend. Still a little time to get something good done this week. And uh, thanks everybody. Talk to you soon. Congratulations on your game dev breakdown, whatever that is. Sounds idiotic to me.